Good evening, everyone. It is just about 9 o'clock in the evening here in Northern California on Wednesday, September 16th. This is the 17th episode of our News Roundup. Of course, going from September 6th through the 12th, that would be last week. Before we get started, this podcast is sponsored by Mission Essential Gear, your one-stop combat shop. Home of the Thules, the tactical handbook for unit leaders, available at megearco.com and Amazon as well. And let's get started. And of course, we'll start off with the COVID-19 numbers and news. The week began with 26 million cases, 879,000 deaths, and 17 million recoveries. Week ended with 28 million cases, 922,000 deaths, and 19 million recoveries worldwide. On September 7th, Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced a deal with biotech company CSL Limited to receive doses of AstraZeneca's COVID-19 vaccine and a vaccine that's being developed by CSL Limited themselves. The country will get the first batches in January as long as both trials go as planned. Should both vaccines pass trials, Australia will purchase 85 million doses for the equivalent of 1.7 billion U.S. dollars. On September 8th, pharmaceutical company Pfizer and biotech company BioNTech announced that their vaccine could be ready for approval mid-October or early November. So, looks like we're making some ground on the vaccine front. Hopefully that progress keeps up. Moving on to Asia. In Hong Kong, nearly 300 people were arrested while protesting the postponement of the 2020 Hong Kong legislative election. Among those arrested were high-profile members of the League of Social Democrats, Lung Kwa Kong and Raphael Wong. The protesters were arrested for being part of an illegal gathering, which was outlined in a new national security law that brings the legal systems of Hong Kong under de facto control of Beijing. Moving on to the India-China border, on the 8th, both sides accused their militaries of crossing the line of actual control and firing in the air to intimidate the other side. This is the first time weapons have been carried and used on the line of actual control in at least 45 years. This comes a week after clashes between the two sides led to the death of an Indian Special Forces soldier on the line of actual control. And moving on to Europe, to Turkey. On the 6th, amid ongoing territorial disputes in the Mediterranean, the Security Forces Command of Northern Cyprus launched military exercises with the Turkish Armed Forces. The exercise has been named Mediterranean Storm and will last until the 10th of this month. The Security Forces Command is the Armed Forces of Northern Cyprus, a country that is recognized only by Turkey. The force is made up of about 9,000 Turkish Cypriots, and is a combined arms force with ground, air, and sea elements. The force is supplemented by thousands of Turkish servicemen stationed in the country. On the 7th, a Turkish court sentenced ISIS militant Abdul Qadir Masharipov to life in prison for an armed attack at an Istanbul nightclub that killed 39 people in 2017. Masharipov, a Uzbek national, was handed the equivalent of 40 life sentences without parole. He was also sentenced to an additional 1,368 years for the attempted murder of 79 other people in that attack. The Islamic State claimed the attack, and another man, Ilyas Mamasharipov, was sentenced to more than 1,400 years in prison for assisting in the attack.
Moving on to Belarus, unrest in relation to the recent disputed presidential election continues in the country with about 1,000 people turning out to protest in the capital of Minsk every day this week. And they are, of course, demanding the resignation of President Alexander Lukashenko. And moving on to Norway, on the 7th, a shipwreck discovered in the Norwegian Trench is confirmed to be the German cruiser Kalashruh. The ship was sunk by the British Royal Navy during Operation Wesserberg. That operation was the dual Nazi-German invasion of both Denmark and Norway in mid-1940, and of course the ship had not been seen until now. Moving on to the Middle East in Afghanistan. On the 6th, 10 Taliban fighters were killed during a failed assault on Afghan security forces in Kandahar province. Peace between the two sides is still a very long way off. On the 7th, a motorcycle ran over a mine in the Zari district of Kandahar, killing one and injuring another. The local police blame the Taliban, but the group has yet to respond to those claims. Also on the 7th, clashes between the Taliban and security forces in Faryab province led to the death of 22 militants and another 24 injured. There were no word on casualties from the Afghan security forces. On the 9th, 10 people are killed and another 15 wounded in a roadside bomb attack that targeted Afghan Vice President Amrullah Saleh in Kabul. The Taliban has denied responsibility for the attack, and this comes as U.S. experts have speculated that ISIS could try and sabotage peace talks between the militant group and the government. Vice President Saleh escaped with only minor burns to his face and hands. He survived assassination attempts before, including one last year that led to the death of 20 people at his office. And lastly, on the 12th in Afghanistan, the first set of peace talks between the Taliban and the government are held in Doha, Qatar, which is the de facto political capital of the Taliban. Afghan politician Abdullah Abdullah says the government is seeking a dignified peace, while U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo calls the meeting historic. It's still not clear if a peace deal can be reached. Spoiler alert, it won't be. Not for a long time. Moving on to Iraq. On the 8th of September, an IED targeting a convoy carrying supplies for the coalition detonated and killed a policeman and wounded two other members of a local SWAT team in the Diwaniya province. Excuse me. And on the 11th, Iraqi security forces ambushed and killed four leaders of ISIS in the Samara district. Iraqi security forces have been steadily operating against a group as some experts fear that ISIS could be making a comeback in both Iraq and Syria. And with that being said, we are going to take a quick break and we'll finish it up with Africa and the Americas. And we're back with Africa. In Tunisia, on the 6th, in the city of Susa, a police officer was killed by Islamist insurgents in a stabbing attack. The three suspects were later killed in a firefight with other police officers. Tunisia is no stranger to Islamist insurgency. 
Thousands of Tunisians traveled to Iraq, Syria, and Libya to join the Islamic State. In March of this year, two militants blew themselves up near the U.S. Embassy, killing one policeman and a civilian. In 2015, an Islamic State gunman killed 29 foreign tourists in Susa in an attack that had many tourists afraid to travel to the country afterwards, which greatly affected its economy. Moving on to Mali, on the 7th, at a summit in Niger, the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, gave the Malian military a deadline of September 15th to appoint a new civilian president and prime minister. ECOWAS imposed sanctions on the country after a military coup on the 18th of August deposed President Keita, who had been in office since 2013. The sanctions included border closures and travel bans and also called for democratic elections to be held within 12 months. The Malian military proposed a military-led transition plan that would last years. It's not clear what would happen if the military did not meet the deadline, but it appears that they are attempting to do so today. They announced that they are in the process of appointing a new president, so they're late, but it looks like they're trying to make progress, so we'll, we'll see. On the 10th, suspected Islamist militants killed 4 million soldiers in the locality of Alatona in the Segu region. Mali has been fighting an Islamist insurgency since 2012, and the current political situation that we just talked about in the country could complicate the military situation in the area. Moving on to Somalia, on the 7th, three Somali Special Forces officers of the Dana Brigade were killed, and one U.S. serviceman was wounded by a car bomb outside of a Somali base, roughly 40 miles from the city of Kismayo. Al-Shabaab claimed responsibility, saying that it killed U.S. personnel, which appears to be false. The Dana Brigade is Somalia's premier commando force, which is known to receive training and support from the U.S. government as well as the Turkish military. On the 10th, in Mogadishu, three people were killed and seven others were injured after an Al-Shabaab suicide bomber detonated his explosives at a restaurant. Al-Shabaab has been ramping up attacks on civilians as it feels pressure from the Somali military and the U.S. military as well. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, on the 8th and 10th, two separate attacks by the Allied Democratic Forces, ADF, killed 58 people in the country's Naturi province. The ADF is a rebel group based in the DRC and Uganda that was formed in 1996. It's allied with Joseph Kony's Lord's Resistance Army and suspected of being allied with Al-Shabaab and ISIS as well. The group is believed to have had around 500 fighters in 2018. On the 8th, the group attacked a village in southern Aturi and killed 23 people. On the 10th, the group attacked another village in Aturi and killed 35 people. The attacks killed three village leaders and according to the United Nations, the ADF has killed more than 1,000 civilians since the start of 2019. And we'll finish it off here with the United States. On the 6th, around 200 people were airlifted out of the Mammoth Pool area of the Sierra National Forest by California's Air National Guard as wildfires burn across the state. The campers were trapped on all sides by the Creek Fire when the only road in or out of the area was covered by the blaze. 
against orders and the advice of cal fire authorities one chinook and one blackhawk helicopter of the air national guard flew into the area and evacuated all of the trapped campers probably saving their lives the seven aircrew members of the two helicopters were all awarded the distinguished flying cross by president trump earlier this week on the 8th according to a report by brown university's cost of war project Wars fought by the U.S. since 9-11 have led to the displacement of over 37 million people. The report states that most of these people have been displaced from Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, the Philippines, Libya, and Syria. It also says that 37 million is a conservative estimate and that the real number could be anywhere from 48 to 59 million I want to point out here real quick, when it says wars fought by the U.S. since 9-11, uh, it appears that that term is used very loosely, right? Um, essentially, any sort of conflict zones that have any amount of U.S. involvement, um, like, let's say, the Philippines. Uh, the U.S. is really not involved in the Philippines, but there is a branch of Operation Enduring Freedom that took place in the Philippines while the Filipino government was fighting against Islamist insurgents. And we took some part in that conflict, a very, um, a backseat, I guess you could say, but technically we fought in that conflict as well. So this report is, um, yeah, it uses U.S. involvement very loosely. I'll just say that. And lastly, on the 11th, U.S. Army Sergeant Major Thomas Paine was awarded the Medal of Honor by President Trump for his role in a prison rescue in 2015 that freed 70 Kurdish prisoners from ISIS captivity. Sergeant Major Paine was assigned to the 1st Special Forces Operational Detachment Delta, a.k.a. Delta Force, during the operation in Kirkuk Province. Delta Force carried out the operation alongside the Kurdish counter-terror group, and U.S. Army Master Sergeant Joshua Wheeler was killed in action during that raid. Payne is the first living member of Delta Force to receive the Medal of Honor, only the third member of Delta Force to receive it total, and is the first U.S. serviceman to receive the Medal of Honor for actions during Operation Inherent Resolve. And with that being said, that's all I got for you guys this week, so... Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, you want to follow us? Instagram and Twitter is at to analyze educate all one word. Um, I'm kind of getting involved with Facebook a little bit more. Um, that's at analyze and educate, um, but not nearly as active on there as I am on Twitter and uh, Instagram. You could of course find our blog at stayready.me. It's been a while since we put something out, so I'm hoping to. Uh, get some content out there soon. Both myself and Pat will be writing articles, um, you know, hopefully here shortly so we could get some more content out there. But, you know, like, share, subscribe, whatever whatever you could do on the platform that you're listening on. Really appreciate it. Um, podcast is starting to gain momentum, and it's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't say how thankful I am, uh, you know, for... All the support that I've gotten from everyone over, you know, this past uh, almost two years at this point. It'll be two years in January. So, um, again, it's awesome. I, I really appreciate all the support from everyone. And we will see you next week.